Well, the first step in anyone's journey toward God is always and only humility. If you're following along in the workbook, uh, you know what that means and you know what's involved in that, that humility isn't about putting yourself down, it's about recognizing the truth of who you are in respect to who God is. Today, we're going to take, hopefully, that step together. That wherever you're beginning from, maybe you've been in church for 50 years and you practically have the Bible memorized, or maybe today's the first day you've ever tried any of this out, your first step and your next step is humility. I do want to register with you a quick save the date, though, before we get into that, and it relates to something this fall. We talked about it last week a little bit. I'd love for you to mark on your calendar between November 3 and November 17, not just the Sundays in that span, but the weeknights as well. Uh, we have an extended time to seek God planned during that time. The Life Action team is going to join us. We'll have children's events and youth events and worship teams and uh, a, lot, a lot of things that we'll get to learn and experience together during that time. And I'll tell you, in, on my calendar I went ahead and marked it off kind of as if I was on vacation, like so that I don't plan anything else during those two weeks. And I would encourage you, uh, even now as we're some months away, to block that time off and to say, Lord, we're dedicating this special time to you as a church family to seek you. And uh, if you've never been a part of something like this before, um, trust me when I say it will be well worthwhile. And even more than that, it might even become a marker in your life by which you date your own relationship with God before the summit and after the summit. And uh, so all of us together can have really high expectations, not at what life action will bring in or what, what we'll do, but what God will do during those two weeks. And, and I don't want any of you to miss that. Um, so here in this time, as we talk about seeking God, we're really trying to prepare our hearts for what he wants to do, uh, both in the fall but ongoing in our lives. We recognize God has great things in store. And what, what we just sang about, I don't know about you, but I'm so excited that, that to me, that's not just sort of an inspiration. That's actually my future. Um, one day I will get to be there in the throne room of God and, and declare his worthiness and praise him. And you will too, if you're following Jesus. Together we get to stand um, not just in this church and worship God, but one day we get to stand uh, in God's very throne room and worship him. And that vision can capture our hearts, it can make us excited. And I think on a very personal level, it should lead us to humility. Now, last week we talked about those three churches in Revelation that needed revival and what that meant for them. Uh, You remember the church of Ephesus, they were the ones who had left their first love relationship with God. And even though their doctrine was sound and they kind of had the right thing going, it was like the passion was gone. And Jesus looks to them and he says, "You you need to repent, you need to see how far you've fallen from where you once were and turn back to me and let's do what we used to do, let's really love one another. Then we saw the church of Sardis, the church that had the reputation for being alive, but actually it was dead. All the externals were good, but it was all activity on the outside. There was no intimacy on the inside. And then we saw that church of Laodicea, the church that was lukewarm, the church that couldn't make up its mind. They'd kind of gotten into a comfortable status of sort of being dedicated to God, but sort of not. And, and to begin today and to see what the call to humility really looks like, I'd like you to turn back to Revelation 3 and to read with me 
this letter that Jesus wrote to the church of Laodicea. Starting down in verse 15, Jesus writes this. I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything that I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, so then you will be rich. And also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. Jesus is playing into some of the things that were important in their culture and saying the things that you think have value, the things that the reason you're saying, oh, I'm rich and I'm okay, you're looking to the wrong source for that. Instead, look to me. It says in verse 19, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Now that image, that metaphor of Jesus knocking on the door of this church, knocking on their hearts, saying, look, I'm I'm here, I'm willing. If you'll but open the door... I could come in and we could share a meal as friends. We could be close. But instead, there's this door that Jesus has to knock on, which is awfully curious when you think he's writing to a church. Why are they boxing Jesus out? I've also wondered, what does the the action of opening the door look like? I mean, obviously, if there's a metaphor of Jesus knocking and he says, come and open the door, well, okay, uh, what does he mean I'm supposed to do? How do I open the door? And I've come to believe that the key to that, the opening of the door, is humility. Humility is always step one. In anyone's relationship with God, on any journey you'll ever take with God, it's always the first piece. That's why it's right here at the beginning of our study. Because if you miss this, the rest of it really isn't going to work. In fact, the whole Bible isn't going to work. If you have a prideful heart, it's like you close off your opportunity to know God in a personal way, to seek God. But if your heart is soft, if your heart is open, if you're humble, then all that God offers is possible for you. So if you aren't humble, and I really believe this, if you aren't humble, you will miss your purpose. God created you to serve him, to love other people. If your heart is full of pride, you'll totally miss the purpose of your life. If you're only existing for your own benefit, everything you'll ever do will be a waste. God designed you for something so much bigger than you. And your pride will tell your heart a lie that you matter. And that as a result of you mattering, you should get your way. And God says, no, no, that's not why you matter. You matter because you're a part of what I'm doing in earth and in eternity. You matter because I'm inviting you into my family. You don't matter because of what you think or what you bring to the table. So, so many people 
leave the purpose of life itself on the table and walk in aimlessness simply to preserve their own sense of pride. And how silly is that? If, if, you, if you can't get your arms around humility, you'll also miss salvation. Because think of this. When you come to Jesus for the first time and say, Lord, I, I what? I'm good enough and you should take me? No, what do you say? Lord, I need you. I, I need to confess my sin to you. I, I recognize you died on the cross to pay for my sin, and you rose again to do something I didn't have the power to do. And, and Lord, I'm, now, I'm joining you and your plan. We're not asking God to join our plan. So salvation itself, your very ability to join the family of God is predicated on humility. It's opening the door to Jesus. And then for today, as we talk about humility here, if you aren't humble you will miss revival. You'll miss it entirely. You might look around and think a lot of other people need this, but not you, because you have it together, right? Because you have something to prove, or, or you, you've already mastered all of this, or this is all like kindergarten to you. If you have a humble heart before God, you put yourself in a position where he can work in and through your life. But if you're proud, if your heart tenses up with, with hardness, you miss it. You miss it completely. Now, in case you're one of the people that, and, and sadly, maybe prideful people, you probably know who you are, you might need this little extra reinforcement here. Just to be sure, it's really clear what I'm suggesting here and what I think the Bible teaches. If you aren't humble, everything in your life will ultimately go wrong. Everything. You might get away with it for a little while. You might have some flash and bang here on earth. But ultimately, in earth and in eternity, everything will go wrong for you unless you humble yourself. Say, well, wow, if it's that important, maybe we should pay attention to what the Bible says. Maybe we should do that. So what does it mean? What is humility? I think it's interesting that the word humble sounds a little bit similar to the word human. It also sounds a little bit similar to the word humus, which is what? All you Latin experts out there, it's dirt, right? It's earth. And, and the reason we're called human is because we are men and women of the earth. We are literally made out of the same elements of the ground that we're walking on. Genesis says God took the dust of the earth and he created us out of it. And so humility, you might say, is just admitting that you're human. It's just believing the truth. It's not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. It's knowing who God is in reference to who you are. Now, thinking that you're dirt doesn't mean that you're degrading yourself. It's just, it's just the honest truth. God has an incredible purpose and value in your life. He made you for purposes that span way beyond what you can see. But you start from this position of being an earth person. And so as much as you might want to you know, puff yourself up and think grand things about yourself, you're just made of dirt like I am and like everybody else in the room is. And the only place where we get our value is, is, is in our relationship to God and, and in living out the vision that God has set before us. If we miss that, we miss everything. And so to humble yourself is just to admit the truth about who you are and then who God is. So to learn a little bit about how to do that, I'd love for you to turn in the Bible to James chapter 4. And we'll read a few verses, actually some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible because of how clear they are about what it really looks like to live with God and to understand who he is. Starts off with some great encouragement in verse 6. 
It says he gives even more grace to stand against evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And here it is, the simple maximum, uh, maxim, God opposing the proud. That is, if you, if you have a hard heart, you'll never be close to God, no matter how much you try or how good you are or how good you think you are. Pride will keep you from God. But if your heart is soft, if your heart is humble, if you're willing to tell the truth about who you are, what your needs are, and why God is important in your life, suddenly God's grace becomes available to you. The next passage here, verse 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Which I've always thought is interesting because if you think about it, pride is really resistance, right? So when you're proud against God, you're saying, no, God, I'm going to do it my way. Well, God did give us that impulse for a reason. You're supposed to use it, just not against God. Who do you use that against? Use it against the devil. Use it against temptation. Resist that. Turn on all that. All, you, know, you know, you get tense. You, you say, no, there's no way I'm going that way. Don't resist God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. It's almost like he's saying to people who've been in pride, who've been opposed by God, he's saying, here's, here's the road back. I mean, if you want to humble yourself, then drop the facade, take the smile off and actually be honest and look at where you're at and say, God, I need you. And, and it's okay if there's tears, if there's gloom. In fact, that makes a lot of sense when you think about how far away from God we can be and how much we're asking God to do for us in terms of mercy and grace. Say, Lord, I need you. And then we see this incredible hope in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Isn't that amazing? The very thing our pride wants the most is to be honored, like for everybody to see how great we are. And, and, and the irony is, if you actually humble yourself, God lifts you up. And so that's a lot higher, I'd say, than me lifting myself up. Now, I, a question for you. How many of you have ever seen this face? Probably every parent has certainly seen it. If you've ever tried to teach Sunday school, you've seen it. Um, in fact, you might even look in the mirror sometime and you see it, right? You see it right now sometimes. Maybe sometimes I'm, I'm looking at it right now. That face is the face of resistance. It's the face of pride. And it's sadly something we're all born into. We all have a propensity to do that. And so if you ever are trying to coach like a toddler or some really little kid, it's interesting how they don't have any filter like we do to make their pride seem sophisticated. Uh, they just can be proud really obviously, right? So when they're proud, what happens physically to their body? Okay, arms cross, eyes roll, you know, they scowl. But then if, let's say you try to pick them up because like they're not in the right place, you have to move them. What, what do you find out when you pick up somebody who is resistant? Their little body is stiff like a board, right? I've even picked a kid up and turned them sideways and they stay straight. <laughs> you think, wow, like every muscle in your body is involved in you saying, no, I won't change my shoes. No, I won't clean my room. And it's that big of a deal to you. That's resistance. Now, what happens to that same child or to you and I when we drop our resistance, when we're willing to admit we were wrong or we're willing to go ahead and say yes to whatever we've been told to do? 
Well, suddenly all those muscles relax a little bit. A hug is actually possible. I don't know if you've ever tried to hug a kid that's in full rebellion, but it's not a very satisfying hug. Like, it's like hugging a brick, right? I mean, there they are. Uh, they're not giving you any love back at all. But wow, when there's humility, suddenly there can be a warm embrace. Suddenly grace can be extended. Fellowship is restored. And that's what we're talking about when we're saying to let down the, the guise of pride in your life and instead open up your arms and say, Lord, I humble myself before you. I don't have anything to prove. I don't have to be right all the time. Uh, I don't have to pretend I don't have any needs. I don't have to get my way. Instead, Lord, I'm looking up to you as my heavenly father. And I recognize you're the Lord and I'm not. You're the God of the universe and I'm an earth person. And my source of worth is not because I try to make myself great. My source of worth comes from you. And when that's your attitude, God will embrace you You can draw near to God, he will draw near to you, and everything changes. I was thinking about some of the the statements, some of the heartbeat behind that picture. And I was thinking about the times that I've said, I'm not wrong. Like, I, I know I'm wrong, but I have to somehow prove to everybody that I wasn't. No, no, you misunderstand. I'm not wrong. Um, or I don't need help. I don't take charity. It's just pride speaking, right? I won't move. Like, I, I've always been this way, I'm not going to change. We've always been this way, we're not going to change. That's pride speaking. I already know. Don't you love that? Somebody cuts you off when you're talking. I already know, I already know. Maybe they don't. Maybe that's just pride. Maybe they feel like they need to say that because they can't admit to having to learn anything because their pride is so strong, so sensitive. I don't need to listen. If you read the book of Proverbs, all about wisdom in the Bible, I I think it's really striking that the quality of wisdom is actually not a person who knows a lot. It's a person who listens a lot. Knowing a lot is knowledge. That's important too, but that's different than wisdom. Wisdom is when you listen to what others are saying. Or like Cain in the Old Testament, remember Cain and Abel. Cain, he was willing to worship God. He was willing to do what God said, sort of. He had to do it his way. It's like here you are, an earth person, a humus person, looking up at the Lord of heaven and earth and saying, okay, I'll worship you, but I'm going to do it my way on my terms when I feel like it. And God's kind of looking down going, I don't think this is how that works. Um, And so there's Cain and Abel. Cain's still willing to go through religious ritual even, but not what God had asked for. And thus out of a heart of pride rather than a a heart of humility. So we learn all throughout the Bible, and you can pretty much find this on every page if you look for it, God gives grace to the humble, but he keeps resisting the proud. And all the mercy and the favor and the blessing and the joy and the salvation, all of that is available when you're humble. It all starts right there. So just for fun, not that this is necessarily fun for all of us, uh, but uh, I thought, like, where would pride and humility be sitting right now? Or where would they be in different situations in life? Uh, How would we identify pride or humility? So in a conversation that you might be having, humility is listening more because pride is doing all the talking. Uh, In a church service, humility is leaning forward to learn. Pride is sitting back to criticize. In ministry work, humility is serving in love for God's glory. Well, what's pride doing? Pride is out there networking and showcasing to make sure they maximize the opportunity for themselves even under the umbrella of ministry. In prayer times, humility is seeking God. 
all that we're talking about, while pride is wondering how to impress the other people in the room, which is really confusing during prayer times for proud people. Because in some prayer times, you should look more holy, and that'll make you look better. But in other prayer times, you should be aloof and not look holy, because that'll make you look cool. It gets really confused. It's easier just to be humble, right? Just say, hey, my heart's actually in this, to seek God and not worry about what other people around me are thinking. In arguments, humility is trying to understand the other person. Pride is trying to prove that it's right. In moments of need, humility, kind of very obviously and logically, is asking for help to meet that need. Pride is hiding in the corner. Why? The proud person doesn't want to admit a need. They want people to think they've got it all together. Like, I couldn't let people know that somehow I don't have enough money or I don't have enough wisdom to face this or somehow I need some support system around me. In failure, humility is growing to the next level. Because every time a humble person fails, they can learn from it. Pride doesn't learn anything from a failure. Pride is busy making excuses about how it's someone else's fault or how they were given the wrong instructions or how they need another chance. In future planning, humility is wondering how to maximize life for good. Like, let's make every moment count for the glory of God. Pride is wondering how to maximize its legacy of good. Like, hey, if I'm going to live my life serving other people, I at least want everyone to read my biography someday. Like, I really want my legacy to be strong. And it's sad that even the good things we do can get twisted around by pride. Now, in this particular moment, like right here, right now in this room, where our pride and humility... Well, I think humility is probably feeling like it's probably time to pray and ask for God's help with all of this. This is, you know, pretty hard-hitting. Pride is wondering when this long list of comparisons will end. It's just not comfortable. So I want to give you this verse um, as a conclusion for today and hopefully as an invitation to keep seeking God. Here's what Psalms says. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Which is a sad place to live since you were created for God. And yet pride will take you away from the things that matter. Pride will box you out of all the relationships that you care about. Pride will put Jesus on the other side of some door that he has to knock on for you to finally open. And if that's where you're living today, the only step to take and the first step to take is to humble yourself. When you humble yourself, you open the door. Jesus can come in. The rest of the process can begin. Your seeking of God can actually result in you finding God. So I invite you today, very simply, to humble yourself, to give up pride, to embrace humility. Let's pray and ask God for help with that. Lord Jesus, we know that, well, I suppose we could say you know better than we do what's in our hearts. You, you, know when, you know how complicated this can be for us when sometimes a humble response and a prideful response might come out of us in the same day or even in the same hour, and how every minute of the day we have to be watchful that our motives are right and pure and are oriented toward you, and that we're not thinking more of ourselves than we ought, or that we're not trying to seize some divine position of decision-making or something that, that really is, is your job, not ours. Lord, we confess, at least I do, how often pride 
ends up creating a barrier between you and I. How often I have to repent from going my own way, believing my idea is the best, trying to prove something to other people. Lord, in this moment, we, together as a church, want to take a step toward you, a step toward revival, a step toward the the bright and amazing future we got to sing about earlier. And we know, Lord, that humility is the key. It's the first step on an amazing adventure, an incredible journey. And in some ways, it's the only step. Because once we humble ourselves before you, you promise your grace to help us through the whole rest of it. And all the things we think aren't possible, the things we would wish for, all of that can be done through your grace if only we humble ourselves. So today, here, I choose afresh, and I pray that all of my brothers and sisters in the room would choose as well to humble ourselves. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your amazing mercy and grace. And we look forward to a bright future with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you. We'll see you next week as we continue seeking him.